A warm servus from Munich and welcome everyone to the Hightech Ventures podcast. Our mission at Hightech Ventures is to help turn science into a triple P dividend. After decades of focus on purely digital innovations, the wave of science-backed ventures is inevitably coming. And in order to tackle many of the world's most pressing challenges, these high-tech innovations are also highly needed. The Hightech Ventures podcast gives you the inside look at what it takes to create successful science-backed ventures. We truly want to understand the entire process from lab to IPO and hone in on the people involved, entrepreneurs, tech transfer specialists, scientists or investors, most of them working backstage relentlessly. We will talk to those getting their hands dirty, those who don't shy away from the complexity, but see the opportunity to create lasting impact based on the newest advances in science and technology. My name is Thorsten Lambertus and I'm pleased to be your host for this episode today with Andreas Olmes. Hello Andreas, welcome to the Hightech Ventures podcast. Hi Thorsten, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you and see you again too. Um, and first of all, how's life in North Rhine-Westphalia right now? Very sunny. So I have the... Uh, the opportunity to live in Bonn, where where the, where the weather is is always very warm and uh, and it's uh, it's uh, it makes fun to to live here, <laughs> much warmer than the, in the in eastern Germany or in the north of Germany. This is obviously a lie, you know that I that I come from Aachen and there's a lot of rain. <laughs> and not that much. It's Aachen, not Bonn. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's uh, different cities and different climate. So. Um, Andreas, it's great having you today here on, on the podcast. And first of all, I think we would like to understand who you are, what is your career path, and how did you end up being uh, one of the most experienced high-tech investors, uh, at least in Germany? Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> so uh, in, in the end, um, um, I, I'm a physicist and um, the science. And um, I... I thought about that uh, that question uh, some times ago, and I made that experience that I'm one of the child, one of the children, who had been very curious in in the very beginning as a little child. So I, I had been that 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 boy who, who destroys all that uh, that playing stuff, not to, not to destroy it, but to learn how it works. And and, uh, and and this makes me. I, I don't know where it comes from. So that's that's just a fact. And um, th that was the base of, of, of all my uh, of all my life. And the um, and and that was the reason why I studied physics. And and the uh, the the second item is that um, due to my parents who who moved uh, several times uh, in Germany, I I had to. Uh, To, be, to become um, fit in, in adapting to new situations and in, 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 to, to different children, to, uh, to different uh, um, regions. So, for example, I, I came from uh, uh, Westphalia, which is <laughs> I was born in Dortmund, and and then we, we had to move to uh, to uh, to the Rhineland, and uh, that's strange. It's a complete different culture, and and I, I continued these uh, this in in, in uh, during my uh, my time and when when studying and working. So, for example, uh, I uh, when when studying physics, I, I started in Bonn because it was just close uh, to to the place where I lived, and then we we, we moved to uh, to Hanover, and that was strange. So uh, Hanover is, uh, has has some really um, let's say weird <laughs> inhabitants. So they, they they don't understand irony, and and I like irony. And this this was really tough task to get uh, to get um, used to that people. And um, after my PhD, uh, we we went back to Cologne, which was fun. I worked uh, as a um, manager of an eye clinic in, in Cologne, uh, so I participated in all these refractive surgery um, procedures uh, when treating the eye for not to wear uh, glasses anymore. It was it was really fun. Then I uh, then I founded my own company, 
together with some colleagues uh, again in Bonn <laughs> um, by, by accident. Um, and this was a really fun time, and uh, but it didn't work. So uh, in that, after these four years, I, uh, I decided to switch to a 100% sales company, which was located in Nuremberg in Bavaria. So, Again, so, a very different culture, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, uh, and Nuremberg is, is not only Bavaria, it's, it's Franken. And, and these... Uh, the worst. <laughs> these Franken guys, and had, I had a team of, of these Franken guys, and that's really strange. And I, I didn't believe that there's something uh, which tops uh, uh, Hanover, but but that, but that's that's the case with with, with these people. So uh, we 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 very successful as an interest femtosecond laser in the German speaking um, market. Uh, so I traveled really a lot to to Denmark, to uh, to uh, to all over, over Germany, to Switzerland, to Austria, and uh, several times a year. Uh, to the US uh, just to get uh, used to the new products we, uh, we we had in sale. And this was really um, very interesting and successful time. But unfortunately, Interlace, which was a startup by itself, was bought by AMO, the big US company in the, in the medtech field. So we, we, uh, we, we were allowed to, to sell these lasers for one additional year only. And um, then I decided uh, to do something else, and I I I, I, I made an analysis, and um, it came out that I have never been in the uh, financing business. So um, so I made developing sales and uh, product development, and uh, of course science, but but never financing. So I, I told myself I don't want to be in, uh, in, in the financier of, uh, of growth companies because these economic guys are, are much better in that than me. And uh, I, I can't use my, uh, my, my, my background of physics uh, anymore. So I decided to, to focus on the uh, seed phase. That's a very early phase of, uh, of startups. And so I went to the high-tech uh, it's, it's already uh, 13 years ago. And and, uh, and that makes uh, that was a really good decision uh, because it fits to all of what I know and what I like to do. And um, since uh, let's say since 2010, I did it my by myself. So I started in 2008, and uh, since 2010, I started uh, with uh, focusing on business development. Um, and in uh, since 2018, together with some colleagues, um, uh, we we focus now on a product market fit, which is uh, nothing else than business development. But we now call it uh, product market fit, and that's discovering uh, problems and doing something new stuff. And and I, I like that very much. Yeah, Perfect, that's, that's, yeah. My, that's my life. <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> In a nutshell. Well, and we'll come to the product market fit later on, definitely. Uh, but first of all, a side comment. I see a lot of physicists in the startup ecosystem as uh, tech transfer officers, as also investors, uh, and, and some of them also in, in top positions, in corporates, top management positions. Why do you think this is the case? Why are the physicists um, not staying in academia, but take over afterwards all these great uh, management positions or are investing into startups? Yeah. Good question. I think it's because of uh, of the uh, necessity to to uh, to have analytical skills. Um, when when investing in companies, you you have to um, um, you have to understand what these people are doing, and you have to understand why it makes sense to do that, and you have to understand if it is possible to make money with it. And that's nothing else than uh, setting up a, a, a model and and checking if uh, if this model works in reality. And and nothing else is is, is physics. Physics is uh, setting up a, a, a model and then checking, uh, and then you have to check if this model works in reality. And I think that's the uh, 
um, the, the basic the reason or the main reason why why physicists are so common in in, in a venture company uh, in venture um, venture capital uh, branch yeah uh, that makes total sense and uh, by the way we're running a small community of tech transfer uh, practitioners um, the high tech ventures club how we call it right now and and so the, those people working at ttos all over europe there's also qu quite some uh, physicists among them so this is really interesting to see and maybe it's actually due to the uh, analytical skills and one thing I, I was also wondering when you said like yeah, you just founded a startup um, this is not a natural thing to do for someone who studies physics at, at least in germany right so what was your motivation to do this good point Good analysis, <laughs> Thorsten. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, um, it's a second. Uh, I'm not quite sure if I should call it skill, but it's an, uh, something I have. I, I I started with curiosity. So, and the second one is uh, courageous, and that means that you that you would like to do something new, um, that you like to to uh, to have challenges. For for example, I uh, when uh, when 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 uh, when ending my school time, I I should have studied mathematics, because uh, that was a field I had been very good, but I decided to study physics because physics is a much more challenging uh, um, thing than mathematics, at least from my point of view, because mathematics is in the end theory. And uh, physics is uh, applying mathematics in reality, and this is much more difficult. And this, and the second, uh, there was another step uh, during my uh, my university time. Uh, I, I started with elementary particle physics. What's that? that? <laughs> <laughs> for for uh, for I think it was one year, and then I said, okay. That's interesting, but much more challenging is to do something interdisciplinary, and and then I switched to uh, to laser medicine and ophthalmology, where where you don't have only to have uh, knowledge of of mathematics and physics, but you have to to get in touch with these uh, users uh, called medicines um, who who are trying to to use your physical devices, and and, and that's a challenge. And then in the end, I, I made an ex, an ex, uh, I had a very interesting uh, seminar um, uh, again in, in Bonn, <laughs> uh, where a very um, experienced guy, old guy, told us there are not so many challenges in the world anymore, and there, there there's no no region you you can discover because this has all been done. But there's one field of challenges uh, you, you still have and will, will ever have, and that's uh, founding a company. And, and that's the basic reason why I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking for, for companies and uh, doing it myself and investing it, investing in companies. Good question. Uh, that, yeah. It's very interesting, and we know for for quite some time, and uh, we know each other for quite some time. And I didn't know that that this is really something that you like these challenges, that you like to be surrounded by uncertainty and just uh, figure out whether you can do it. Uh, and this was obviously your motivation for the first startups, and I think it's probably also the motivation of of many people uh, who are engineers, physicists, or whatever by training. Uh, and just want to bring their stuff to life and want to see the challenge if they can do this. And just uh, by the way, you said you, you have been in the sales role, you have been doing business development, product development. Is that easy to do with your background to do this oh. transition into these roles? <laughs> Definitely not. Also, the sales job was 100% strategic. I, I, I knew that this will not be uh, the work I will do for forever. But uh, but people told me um, uh, that that I need that experience, and so I decided to do that. And uh, it it was it was good. It was fine that it stopped after three three years. Uh, so I, I um, but but it was very interesting. And and it's not it's not easy. Definitely not because it's like um, um, like uh, if you want to climb to a, a climb 
the, the, the highest hill in the Alps, for example, and you don't see the, the, uh, the highest mountain uh, for, because, for example, there's fog. Then you start run, uh, walking and, and you get to, an, to a max, to, to one hill, to the top of one hill. And then you say, oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm the best. I'm at the top. And, uh, but you, if you have a look around, you see mm, maybe it's not the highest mountain. And then you have to go downstairs. And, and till, till the, uh, um, till the uh, into the valley again, right? And then it, it, you have to, again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, till you have to the bottom, uh, reach the bottom of the valley, and that's not fun, be because you know what you have already um, uh, reached, and you you dis you you decide by yourself. Oh, I have to go down first because then I have the chance to get to a higher hill. And that's that's uh, that's all these steps uh, I, I made in, in in my life. It's a, it's it's a, it's a, a sum of um, of going downstairs when when reaching a hill. Um, but but otherwise you 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 don't become better. This is super interesting and also inspiring as well because I think I've seen that with many researchers that they build up this reputation in the field they are working in. And when it comes to founding a company, what they are fearing is that they are losing this reputation, that they're taking over a role, for example, the CEO role, that they are maybe not capable, not yet capable of doing this. And so they would lose this reputation. And many people fear this step going, as you put it quite nicely, uh, down again, right? Uh, but then you only have this chance to grow again and maybe find a hill that is even, even higher, find the big mountain. Uh, and so uh, this is a very interesting way to to put it and to see it. As the biggest problem is the fee is uh, getting uh, rid of that fear or to handle fear. And um, maybe I I had been very lucky in my in my very first uh, years that my parents uh, educated me the way that they told me uh, don't fear about what everybody else is telling you. Um, and and that. I'm I'm re I'm really uh, um, um, this is really a, a point which which changed my my life or which influenced me much. And uh, by the way, it's very interesting where this comes from. Uh, you, you know that I'm I'm born in '68, and that's just 23 years after the Second World War. It's 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 compared to uh, the the change in the millenniums, uh, 2000, which is 21 years uh, uh, ago. So it's comparable to that. So it's not very far away. And that was a time where where where, where people didn't say what they really thought. And uh, and uh, and my parents uh, did it the opposite way. So I'm very thankful to them um, because this made me. Uh, uh, Made me a guy who, who who doesn't care so much about what people are thinking of him, and that makes uh, uh, doing a startup much much easier. I can agree that because naturally, as an innovator, you are uh, first of all working against the odds and also uh, against the status quo uh, and and common knowledge and and stuff like that. And so you're always the one who's standing out of the crowd, and, and you're surrounding in Germany. Absolutely, it, it's it's different different to uh, to the US. In US, you're a star when you're doing a startup, but in Germany, still, you, you have to fight for for that. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. But it changes. Okay, so it comes better. It comes better. That's good. It, it, but it's great great to hear that journey from you and your perspective on that and why you ultimately and now it makes sense that you became an investor because you are constantly seeking this new challenge and trying to shape the future and uh, go against the odds maybe at, at some point um so tell us maybe for those folks who are not that familiar with the high-tech window for so so what what is the high-tech window for exactly doing you you talked something about uh, seed, seed investor but i think it's right now the most active seed investor in europe is that correct yeah yeah we are, we are still the most active investor in in, in Europe, um, and that the main reason for that is that we are uh, forced 
to invest in into very young companies and we we, we don't have that high IRR uh, uh, aim uh, as other companies. So we can invest in companies having very interesting tech and uh, hopefully some problem uh, solver, solvings. Um, but we, we are not uh, fo uh, fo uh, forced to, uh, to, to invest in companies only uh, which uh, bring us uh, our money back 10 times, for example. And, and that makes us um, an investor who is allowed to, in, to invest in very new tech and, and new business models. And, and, and that's very, uh, I think it's, it's very successful, uh, but, but obviously only possible if you have a lot of money. And, and that's the reason why, why we uh, right now have uh, 900 millions uh, under management. And, uh, and that's not possible for, for smaller uh, investors. Yes, definitely. And I think uh, you're, you're part of the, the hardware unit uh, of High Tech Founders Fund. For me, this is the core of what's nowadays called deep tech, right? Uh, so all these <laughs> science-backed ventures, uh, maybe life sciences as well, but but hardware definitely. And uh, you, you need this, this sort of money also in order to be able to invest into early stage companies that still have to do some R&D as well, right? Uh, it's not just business development. You're also probably investing to some extent into, into R&D as well. And now looking at your experience and also the whole portfolio experience that the High Tech Founders Fund uh, has been building up over the past couple of years. So what distinguishes the good from the ugly? So the, the really good performing startups from the ones that are not performing that well or maybe dying quite soon? Yeah, there, there's, it's a good question. There, there's a there's a new development i think since two to three years where, where, where people recognized or investors recognize that that you shouldn't give startups just money in that very early phase um, which is very important in that very early phase you, you shouldn't give them just money you you you, you have to uh, you have to, uh, to to care about these startups and and we, we we do that too and uh, that is one uh, result of our product market fit uh, activities in, in the last years where we recognize that um or we, we made a study which is very interesting where we uh, we um, had a look on on a, on all these uh, hardware companies who didn't make it from our portfolio portfolio and the result was that 75% of these companies um, failed due to not having product market fit. And that's that's unbelievable in the end. And, but by the way, it's it's comparable to the to the US, uh, which is very astounding. Um, um, and, and what is the result of that? It, it means you have to help these startups. You have to. You, you don't have to, uh, or you should not uh, tell them what to do. But uh, you should uh, uh, be a sparing partner of of your of, uh, founders, and then uh, life becomes much easier. Not only for the founders, but for you as an investor too, because you you have that uh, experience with all these other uh, companies you have you are already invested in, and the founder typically has his first investment it's uh, his first startup so that's uh, it's it's a that's a very interesting uh, relationship if you set it set it up like this and the very successful companies do that and uh, you you can answer this question from from a different way too if you have a look at the really big big companies you'll see that these company or you recognize that these companies are, are are born by by uh, by the tech guys, which is very interesting. It's like the uh, like uh, Amazon, Facebook, uh, um, uh, Apple, Microsoft, um, or uh, compare. Or if you go to um, Estonia, it's these uh, the the ex Skype founders, um, and then you realize, oh, these. 
these companies are founded by or still are, are still managed by the people who understand the, the business and what they are doing. And that's completely diff different to just giving money. And that's a comparison to, uh, to that uh, uh, movement um, in, uh, in Germany too. Uh, to to focus much more on on being uh, on focus on the investor being much more sparing partner than than just uh, the the, um, the the guy who who gives you money. And so this is primarily due to the fact that those companies are started by the engineers, by the researchers, maybe, and you feel like this business development kind of stuff, strategy for a startup, doesn't come naturally. Uh, to them and so they need to learn it or at least they need to have someone who's aggregating a lot of experience like an investor such as the high-tech Gründerfonds who can actually help them with with some guidance uh, in the on the in the very first steps and I'm, I'm always wondering uh, because what you're telling us 75% this is totally in line with many other studies with very similar results but I'm wondering is it because maybe it was the wrong product for for the market maybe you had a good hypothesis maybe you had some iterations but ultimately there was no product market fit to find or is it just the founders who are not able to generate the product market fit because they are not capable of doing it so is it primarily the lack of product market fit or the team behind this uh, the the startup which is the very reason for that result it's, it's a combination of both in, in, in all these cases. You, you can never say it's just because of that or just because of that. Building a startup is very complex and it, it, it's always a combination of different uh, uh, reasons. Uh, but there is, there's one big difference in, um, especially in, 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 and that's very interesting because it's the opposite sides. Especially in Germany, you are used to uh, feature team uh, companies. So there is a, And, and that's a negative way. There is uh, um, a management who um, who uh, who make who is analyze, who has analyzed the market, and then um, they they tell the uh, the product guys we need a product uh, like this having these specs, and the uh, the product guys are uh, get the uh, the order to to build uh, such a product based on the given specs. We, we call that feature teams because these specs are feature teams. And the, the big innovative tech companies, which are very, very successful, so um, the GAFAM uh, companies, uh, as I mentioned before, Google, Amazon, uh, Amazon, etc., they do it the opposite way because they are engineering driven. They, they understood that you should set up a, a company based on product teams so the, the, the core of, of google apple amazon facebook microsoft are very small product teams based on uh, on four four people it's a product manager it's a product de uh, designer and a tech lead hardware tech lead software four guys that's it and they get the 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 order or the task to solve a problem of a customer And that's it. And then this product team is in charge of finding a solution, and that's completely different to the to the uh, feature team approach, which is common in in in, in Europe, um, leading to a situation where the, the complete company uh, of these very successful uh, companies I mentioned are based on product teams solving problems. So you, you first have to 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 talk to your customer to get the problem the problem only. So the customer knows everything about the problem. You should not ask him or, uh, or discuss with him about solution. And then you go back in, into your startup and you create your solution. You as a startup don't don't have any um, uh, knowledge about the problem. Your task is the solution. The customer's task is the problem. And, and that's a big difference. And that's the reason why these uh, big tech-driven uh, companies in the U.S. are so successful. 
Hmm. And so I'm also wondering right now, uh, what does it mean for team composition? Because what I'm seeing, especially in Germany, but all over Europe, is the discussion, should you bring in these business people and match them with the engineers? And so these are the magic founding teams because they have both. They have the, the sales and the, uh, the, the CEO mindset, and they do have the CTO mindset and skills. But the way how you describe is that the one who possesses the problem is the customer. Uh, and you just need some some good product teams that are able to listen to the customer. And this journey is what you're trying to facilitate with high tech uh, Gründerfonds in order to under understand these problems. And then it's quite easy to build the right product or the right solution for that given problem. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you have to stop to start a company from a management economics perspective. That's that's a that's a big thing. You have to you have to start from a problem solving. Uh, perspective and then the team as i mentioned is a product manager a product designer which is very rare in in europe uh to to, to be implemented in such an early uh, phase uh, and then the tech lead hardware tech lead software so just four guys and and the reason for that is is that uh the tech guys are for the feasibility or the, is the product doable Uh, the, the product designer is in charge of um, the usability. Uh, that means can, can the customer use that product? And the product manager is in charge of um, uh, what, uh, validity. That means can the customer and can we as a startup make money with it? And is it possible to, to do it in, in such a surroundment? So he's, he takes care of Of the surrounding, plus if we can do, if we can make money with it. But it's a product manager; it's it's not an economics guy. And and that's the uh, the approach which uh, where, uh, where where these companies uh, uh, are built on, and they're very successful. And and in the end, it's uh, it's it's to be very honest, it, it's nothing else than a, a, a gesunder Menschenverstand. As we in Germany say, uh, but there's, uh, we have a history in, in Germany and in Europe, and it's very difficult to get rid of that history. And it's a, it's a European uh, problem in, in the end. We, we don't have these product managers in Europe as they are in in the US. The the European product managers are feature team product managers. They need a uh, set of specs, and then they can build a product. So if we double-click on that topic, there's two questions that come to my mind. The first one being, so what are you actually doing with your team at Hightech Gründerfonds in order to help those teams in this very, very early stage to be better at generating product market fit? Good point. First of all, uh, we, we perform product market fit workshops. Mm -hmm. Uh, with uh, and, and these are very intense workshops. Uh, we can do it by, uh, by uh, via Microsoft Teams, so we don't need to be there. The workshop is close to people who understand the problem and the tech and uh, what 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 we can do. Uh, we we are, it's not open. We tried it in the very beginning, uh, didn't work. Uh, it's it's a nightmare if there is, is, a, is a boss inside uh, in that meeting. So it's, uh, but the startups, uh, it's it's always, uh, it's most in most cases, this, this is the same. But if it would be a, a larger company, uh, I, I would uh, insist that the, that uh, no boss should be um, in that workshop. Um, so it's, and it's 100% content driven. For, and uh, for example, for, 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 for us as Heide Kundafond, Uh, the uh, the investment manager of that company is allowed to, uh, of course, must be part of that uh, workshop, but not the second pair of our four eyes principle. He he is he don't he doesn't know or she doesn't know the uh, the details uh, and um, it makes no sense. And then we have a situation where where we where we get very fast to um, something we uh, nowadays is called social tr um, social trust. Uh, where, uh, where, where each, where, where all these people trust each other, and then we can speak very open. 
and 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 then we 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 try to um, and then the strategy is very easy. We focus on one customer only. So we tell uh, we tell the startups or uh, the startup startup just one. Um, choose one of your of your customer you think who is uh, very uh, uh, who fits most of your customers and then we discuss this single customer and then there is no possibility to say yeah but uh, we, we can do that with other customers no we just focus on one and then we try to um, uh, to um, to to understand this customer as deep as possible and try to make some uh, revenues with them, which is uh, in the, which is the aim. So we, we call it the rule of uh, n equals one. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, but that's a basic idea, and it works very well. It works very well, and so, it's very interesting. It's we have a we have a uh, we have a canvas of that, of course, just one sure. slide, uh, a very small one, and the main boxes of that canvas. Is uh, describe the customer and describe the problem of the customer. <laughs> of course, there are five other uh, boxes, but uh, the, the very first workshop is in in nearly all cases just um, discussing these first two boxes. I and can that's, imagine uh, and, that. And, and that's difficult. <laughs> That's super difficult. Uh, it's way harder to be very concrete with that, right? Because I also know all these researchers, researchers uh, when you have your first coaching session with them and you ask the questions, who's your customers? Yeah, all the SMEs out there. Well, uh, you never sell just to all the SMEs out there. Give me just one guy in one specific company and tell me what exactly is his or her problem that you're trying to solve. And you're probably exactly focusing on this Let's start with n equals one, as you put it, uh, and then we can try to find other personas that do have the same issue, that do have the same problem, right? Um, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and so I'm also wondering, because my background is obviously also a lot of tech transfer working from inside the research organizations. So, so what is the, the role of research organizations in order to prepare the researchers better or their future founders to work on product market fit or at what stage should they spin off the company because there is right now investors like you are obviously putting a lot of effort and time into helping them to to create something like product market fit so you just can spin off a technology and you will take care of the rest or how does it work uh, good question uh, first of all uh, we should be we should be very proud of our Uh, scientific uh, background, especially in Germany, we have so so many institutes and university. That's uh, I, I would say that, uh, regarding this topic, we are number one worldwide. Of course, people say ah, there is Stanford and MIT in the US, but these are single universities, and uh, especially in Germany, we have a much much broader scene of universities and institutes and uh, it's, it's nearly in all uh, cities you have something comparable but <laughs> um, we, we are not so good as already heard several times in 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 uh, in, uh, in putting these technologies into products and I think the, the, the main uh, error uh, most people think of is, or do is uh, to, to make a scientist uh, being a product manager. That's, if, if a scientist is a scientist, that's perfect, and he should do that, point. But it would be very, very interesting if, if, if every university and every um, Fachhochschule and, and every institute like the Fraunhofer Institutes would be forced to have to, to, um, to hire at least one uh, product team. That means a product manager and, and, a, uh, and a, a product designer who are forced to, to look for, for tech leads to, to form a product team in, in the manner I just mentioned before 
to uh, and the and the task to 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 get to find some uh, to solve problems and that would be a, a a, a gigantic step forward and into the direct into the uh, into the right direction and that's what's missing in in Germany and Europe and that would be perfect if you if you could change it uh, in that way so thank you for for that perspective uh, and and now let's take a step further because uh, you have also exited companies maybe it starts of course with product market fit this is the first major milestone you need to reach as a founder and it's especially interesting if you're coming with this piece of technology and you need to kind of translate it into a product um, but what comes afterwards what are the big challenges then when you are building a business and growing a business towards maybe an exit IPO kind of thing um, or trade sale, whatever this means at the end of the day. What are the major building blocks and challenges here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, f uh, uh, let's assume uh, you have a product team and uh, let's assume uh, they found a problem which they could solve, um, I ideally with, uh, with a technology uh, out of university or whatsoever. Um, and of course, um, protected uh, for for copies. So for uh, for copying, that means IP, intellectual property. The next most important step is to to put this IP into the startup, and that's a nightmare in Germany. Uh, we are on a good way uh, uh, to 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 better situation, but but right now, all these Uh, founders have to go into strong negotiations with their university or institute to convince them that it makes sense to put that IP into the company. And and, and then you can ask, hey, well, what is the best solution? And the best solution is very, very obvious. It's uh, that uh, the, the IP giver are getting shares of that company. Like like all and shares only, and and like all the others, uh, like all the other stakeholders too. For example, the the founders um, put their time and their, their lifetime and and their their workforce into the company and get uh, get shares. You, you you know that the uh, that the salary of a founder is very low, so in the end they get sh shares only. If there is an investor, um, he puts money into the company. He gets shares only. Uh, you, you may know that it's not, uh, uh, let's say, allowed, but it's uh, it's very very unusual and not well seen if an investor takes money out of the company, for example, for for consultancy. That's uh, that's a no go. So the, even the investor. Just gets just just gets shares, and then there is a university um, uh, thinking. Um, I put uh, five million euros into uh, in that uh, uh, basic uh, technology, and now I would like to have that five million euros back um, plus a, a licensing fee uh, for with 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 a with a, uh, with a basic. Uh, A fee uh, in in every year, and uh, and of course uh, shares on, on top, uh, and um, on, and of course we uh, we would like to see the company um, putting some orders to to the university back. A triple uh, a triple dip, so to say, right? A, a triple dip, <laughs> and that's unbelievable. It's it's really unbelievable. The understanding must come that the IP has to be paid in shares only and i, I know that uh, max planck institute is, is already on the on the way to that but that has to be a common thing and of course i know uh, the, uh, the the arguments uh, are how we, we we have to find um, the right value and uh, we, we put money of 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 the uh, of um, German Ministry of Economics into um, or of Science into into that, yeah, that's 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 fine, but in the end, uh, if you're if you are talking about startups, and startup means uncertainty, new things, innovations, 
We are not talking about the uh, big uh, of, of old economy or automotive or something like that. We are talking about startups, uncertainties, a uh, lot of risk. Then you have to put it, you put the IP into the companies with shares only, or just do it, or just don't do it. Then, but but then tell the founders that you not, don't like to uh, to put the IP into startups. Then we at least we, we don't uh, lose our all our time. Yeah, well, this is a very complex discussion, and I think I fully agree with there need to be alignment of incentives for the long term. Because when you're doing a startup, you are betting on the long term result, and you know that is it it is surrounded by uncertainty, and it's highly likely that it's going to fail, right? Uh, and so doing it just against so for equity make, makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, and do, one thing is it more like the length of the discussions and the negotiations that are really hindering. Uh, us to get more great spin-offs out of the research organizations or is it the the structure of the deals or both definitely both uh, the, the, the worse the, the more interesting the IP is and that's uh, so the, the strategy of a, of, a, of a founder should be don't tell anybody that that this IP is very interesting and uh, uh, start founding the company as early as possible and and put that not necessary <laughs> IP into the startup. Um, um, of course, it is necessary um, because then uh, it makes negotiations much easier. But the longer you're waiting, uh, the, the more um, can people see that maybe there could be made some money out of it but but i focus on maybe and this is misinterpreted because a startup is always risky and, and they have a uh, non-failure quote of uh, of of at least 50 percent and uh and that makes things worse yeah, um, f fully, fully agree on that. And, and uh, we hope that we come to some de facto standards, or at least more standardized processes and deal structures, because this would make life easier for, for all of them. And what you're basically uh, saying is that whenever you have a great piece of IP, and since the or research organization has the negotiation power in the very end, under which conditions they will give the IP to the startup, right? Uh, the more you show them the value of that IP out there, uh, the higher the price goes, so to say, right? And this is probably... Yeah. But I th in, in the end, uh, a really good solution would be uh, a situation where the institutes understand that they will profit from startups in the long term. Exactly. And that's the problem. Uh, um, uh, founding a startup and uh, doing an exit needs around about seven years maybe seven to ten years and that's too long for 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 many institutes they they uh, they, they, they can't see the results um um in, in uh, uh, less than five years and if there would be an incentive structure or an, a thinking or a mindset that and i think this must be uh, forced then um, um, the, the, this, the startup scene can uh, can develop much easier and better. Then, of course, it's it's of big interest if a, if a university would be surrounded by let's say 20, 30 startups. In that in such a situation, if this 20, 30 startups are already there, the university would uh, would um, would, would like it very much because students would come to that university. Money would come to that university. Uh, Follow-on uh, orders would come from the startups to the university. And then you get an, a, a network of university, industry, big industry, and startups, which will be definitely will definitely be very very successful but it's but the problem is to uh, to, to get um, 
professors and, and, and institutional leaders or institute leaders uh, into, a, into a situation where they understand this and that it makes sense to put effort in the first 10 years till this is reached. But if it is there, everybody will, uh, will, uh, uh, will profit from it. Everybody. Absolutely. So it's a, um, it's a positive. It's it, uh, it, it's it's a very positive thing, but 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 people have to understand that you have to start somewhere, and you have to start where you put IP into these startups, and if you allow uh, scientists to do these startups, and if you force scientists to do that startups, if they want, of course, and 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 uh, to get that situation where. You have that uh, environment as soon as possible. Fully agreed. And we will hope uh, that we will get you to such conditions uh, that this really works out. Um, let's come to to a final topic. And uh, so so we are we're, we were talking about commercial outcomes of startups primarily, right? And commercial conditions. So at the end of the day, uh, I think we need to think in terms of a triple P dividends, uh, which means not only thinking about um, the, the commercial kind of perspective, but also the social impact we can have, um, the environmental impact we can have. And I know this this is also a topic where you feel like way more needs to be done. From your perspective, what might be the contribution of high tech to solving the big challenges that we have globally? Yeah. Again, a good question, Thorsten. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I prepared for hours. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the main reason why I'm still at Hightech Wunderfall. Um, it may be difficult to see. Um, I, I'm I'm 100% convinced that we can make the world a better place uh, with technology, because technology in in most cases allows you to do something better, faster, cheaper. And better, faster, cheaper means the costs go down and the negative side, effect, side effects go down. And that's not only by some, uh, some, some, some big, big products like, let's say, meat, with, uh, which is not, which is out of uh, plants, something like that, or uh, all these big ideas. It's much, much more a combination of a lot of tiny ideas for, for example uh, IOT is uh, something which is uh, which is a trend right now um, but let's think I think let's think a little bit about IOT so internet of it's things it's internet yes internet of things uh, what will result what what can you do with internet of things you you may know that um, that we have um, a, a lot of uh, of uh, death people. I think it's four thousand a year due to uh, due to automotive, due to traffic in Germany. Um, this is not good. Additionally, it's not it's not good that uh, all these cars um, damage uh, the uh, um, the nature due to um, due to uh, the fossil CO two which they emit uh, in, into the air. That's the reason why uh, e-mobility is coming, of course. But uh, even with e-mobility uh, or the e-cars, electric cars, you have that problem that there are much too much cars on the streets. So what is the solution to that? Of course, it's autonomous driving. But, but when will autonomous driving come? So autonomous driving means you don't need your, your own car. You just open the app in, in your smartphone and just tell them, I, I would like uh, to have a car in five minutes because I would like to, to drive to Torsten, uh, which is much more easier, much more fun. But therefore, you need autonomous driving cars. And uh, if, if you look at the steps you need to solve for autonomous driving cars, you realize very fast, uh, especially if you're used to... Uh, adaptive cruise control that it is that it is difficult to uh, for uh, for the sensors to see where the other um, uh, cars are of course it's already working but what would be the situation 
if the car knows where all the cars are, other cars are, and what would be the situation if the car would know where all the other traffic participants are? And then IoT comes into 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 game into the game and uh, 5G, uh, especially. And then you see, okay, let's assume we have IoT, Internet of Things, and let's assume we have 5G, and let's assume that the, all the cars know where the other cars are in a surrounding of, of course, uh, 100, 200 meters only. And uh, if there is a traffic participant like uh, uh, like me uh, walking the street and I have my smartphone with me, then the cars in 500 200 meters around surrounding know that I am there. They don't know that that it's me, but they know there is uh, someone walking over there. And then traffic becomes really safe. And that's nothing else than autonomous driving, because then you can tell the cars just drive. And 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 that was just one example to explain how all these let's say small technology uh, packages uh, implemented in IoT, in smartphones, in apps, in 5G, are working all together to create a situation where suddenly autonomous driving is possible. And and then the reduction of CO2 uh, uh, emission will uh, will be enormous. And and uh, and that's the, the impact. All these uh, one example for the impact all these startups in the very diff- very different fields have when they uh, establish themselves um, and in, a, in in parallel. Because you don't need one tech to solve a problem. You always need a different set of techs. Yeah, and, and and that's uh, the reason why I why I work at Heite Grunerfon, and and my my big aim is uh, something I have read in in uh, in, Rif- in the book of Rifkin, and that's uh, the marginal cost zero um, idea. So let's assume an, a world where the three main topics of a society, which is telco, mobility, and energy, are not costing any money not costing money anymore, but a flat rate, of course. And if you think about that, you realize that with telco, telecommunication, we, we already have that situation. So we, we are not right now talking about uh, uh, talking via Squadcast, and I, I don't pay any additional cent for that. It's it's a flat rate. And, uh, and I, I know still, I still know the times where, where, where an and Ferngespräch was really expensive. It, it costs several, uh, in, in our current uh, currency, several euros. One call only. It's unbelievable. We don't have that anymore. And if we let's assume we get into a situation, into a society where mobility is flat, like I explained before, and energy too. Energy because we don't be um uh we don't need any uh gas gas or, or oil from from russia or from the us but we will we produce uh, our energy by ourselves with 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 wind and 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 sun it's unbelievable so and and this will solve a lot of problems a lot of problems and all of them have a lot of small tech parts inside that's the reason why I'm working at Heidi Gründer von So thank you for this insight. And I think it's a perfect vision to, to end this podcast today. Uh, and also, again, I hope that we will get to this situation. But uh, really, your understanding, it takes a lot, of, a lot of technology pieces in order to reach that state. Uh, but ultimately, hopefully, um, humanity will get there. So, Andreas, uh, I really enjoyed this discussion today. Thank you very much for your time and all your insights. And I hope that you will stay for a long, long time in the startup ecosystem uh, here in Germany and Europe uh, so that we can all benefit from from your experience and, and, and your thought leadership. So thank you for that. Thank you, Thorsten. Thank you very much. Thank you.